This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. Good day, greetings, hello. It's Art at the End of the World, the podcast that features artists, entertainers, and cultural leaders speaking about what it is to make art here at the end. My name is Mark Wigmore, host of The Oasis on the new Classical FM in Toronto, and that organization presents this podcast twice weekly on the Zoomer Podcast Network. Great to be with you. Great to have you along. Uh, We live in a wild world right now. Just read any newspaper, watch the news. Sometimes we look across this country and beyond, and we wonder if there are any solutions to our multi-pronged problems and issues. And sometimes it does feel hopeful and often hopeless. And maybe, just maybe, (laughs) the conversations that we uh, put together here and offer up to you on Art at the End of the World provide a, a little solace. Maybe some balance to the mania. That is the hope. We call these Thursday episodes Remix, and it's a series of conversations re-released from the first season because we actually have a network and a support system this time around, so it's nice to get a fresh set of listens and ears on these great conversations. Scratch Bastard is my guest today, DJ, wildly talented producer and turntablist. Of course, he's so famous worldwide as a big club draw, but he's also been a partner with Kerner Hall on several occasions uh, for big Soft seat shows. So we'll get to DJ Scratch Bastard in just a moment. This episode sponsored by Red Eye Media, a leading arts and entertainment communications company working with award-winning clients, including the Musical Stage Company, SummerWorks Performance Festival, and many others, RedEyeMedia.ca. One of Red Eye's partners is Crow's Theatre, also a sponsor, one of this country's most acclaimed arts organizations and based in Toronto's vibrant East End community. Crow's Theatre creates unforgettable theatre that examines and illuminates the pivotal narratives of our times. And that continues. Crowstheatre.com for info and tickets. Don't forget Secret Life of a Mother by Hannah Moscovich and actress Maeve Beattie is on through this weekend at Streetcar Crow's Nest. And you can go and enjoy a show at uh, Carla and Dundas. All right, uh, DJ Scratch Bastard. I saw him in action the day that uh, David Bowie passed away. And that's because uh, his name is Paul Murphy, by the way. He put together this incredible tribute to Bowie by using his turntables to remix the track Let's Dance, the iconic 80s hit. And it was a real moment of joy and celebration on what was otherwise a, a pretty dark day. And it became a viral sensation. Millions saw it. Millions saw what Paul was able to do with a couple of turntables. Pretty fantastic. I'm actually going to play a little bit of it for you in a few moments. And then I caught him at uh, Kerner Hall with DJ Jazzy Jeff, the famous uh, Philly DJ from DJ Jazzy Jeff and the Fresh Prince fame. And I actually bought the tickets or or got a hold of the tickets uh, because I wanted to see Jeff. But I ended up leaving the building talking about Paul. Jeff was great, but I, I think I just didn't fully understand what DJ Scratch Bastard was capable of. 
And uh, I'm going to talk to Paul about that friendship in just a moment. But needless to say, right then and there, I became a big fan. Paul is a three-time Scribble Jam DJ battle winner. He's Juno-nominated as a producer. He tours constantly all over the world, a global ambassador and judge for Red Bull's annual freestyle and freestyle DJ competition. He can kind of do it all, and he's worked within soul and reggae, but also hip-hop, classical music, and he's had big collaborations with Shad, the rapper, and a guy that I'm fairly familiar with, Buck65, a.k.a. Rich Terfry. Uh, Rich and I worked together for years at the CBC, so Paul and I have lots to talk about under the Buck65 umbrella. Uh, Wu-Tang Clan, Paul has worked with uh, that group, Beastie Boys. So here we go. From DJ Scratch Bastard's kitchen table at his home and studio space in Toronto's West End, this is our conversation on Art at the End of the World Remix. Here we are in the kitchen of Scratch Bastard. How, am I pronouncing that yeah, correct? It sounds. Just say it comfortably, and everything will work out just fine. It's kind of an East Coast uh, twang. I think uh, when I was actually given the the full uh, the full spelling and wording uh, of the second part of my name, but I decided to add my own little East Coast spin because that was just how I wanted to have it. So I guess it's kind of like a boston new york kind of bastard little east coast slang exactly well i know something about where you're coming where you're coming from and i want to talk to you about it anyway. okay but um <laughs> i wanted to start by telling you a quick story okay that um i was last year i want to say i got an invite from my friend dustin to go see metallica and okay. I'd, I'd never seen metallica mm. before and the reason he wanted to go is because he's pretty good friends with the Beastie Boys over the years okay. and, and Mixmaster Mike. Uh-huh. And he's been on tour with Mixmaster Mix Mike lots of times. And so we had these nice passes. And so there we were backstage in front of, you know, 60, 70,000 people or whatever mm-hmm. it was. And poor Mike has to get out there in front of this metal crowd <laughs> and just work those tables and try and, you know, amp this crowd up for, so that when Enter Sandman uh-huh. starts playing, everybody's <laughs> kind of ready to go. And I thought, wow, you know, as a DJ, you get asked to do a lot of different types of things mm-hmm. and create different types of music mm-hmm. and, and work in different formats and all the rest of it. And mm-hmm. you are no stranger to that. So I was curious if you've had that gig where you thought, what have I got myself into well, this time? I've yes, I, I tend to take on just about any gig that tickles my fancy. I don't know. I I like being challenged, and and that comes from an early time in my career while being from Nova Scotia yeah. and being a hip hop DJ from Nova Scotia. So there's Exhibit A. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like you know, I and in order to, once I started deciding, okay, I want to try to make this a career. I, you know, I want to get gigs, be more serious about this. I would be play in places like. Andy Ganesh or you know sure. Moncton St. John I'd play at the local bars and some of the locals would sort of look at me like what is this guy doing over yeah, there and like, they'd still I'm make those here. things <laughs> yeah and I'm like yeah I'm from here you know I'd bring my own gear and, and everything um so even from that I really learned to enjoy the idea of 
you know, proving myself or even justifying my existence or just sort of more than for me, it was more for the art form because I'm so passionate about DJing and, and DJ culture and scratching and, and the, the musicality of it all that it means a lot to me. So if anyone challenged that, I'd be like, well, no, I think this is totally a legit thing. Check this out. Did you feel like, okay, I got an uphill battle here just from a cultural standpoint? It, uh, it, to, to be honest, it never felt like an uphill battle yeah. as much as I just liked the challenge. And, uh, you know, I do, I've always kind of been an underdog. I've played basketball all my life. We were, I would say my average team record was below 500, but like, <laughs> right, you know, like right. the upsets and everything like that. Yeah. And come from a smaller town, still not the big town, even out there. I'm from Bedford, Nova Scotia, 20 minutes outside Halifax. So would we call that a suburb? Yeah, it's kind of the burbs. It's technically yeah. in the Halifax regional municipality, but, right. uh, but yeah, you know, to the people in Halifax, it's still 20 minutes away or sure. whatever. Yeah. Sure. Did, uh, uh, now you just played the consumer electronics show, isn't it? Yeah. Right? CES and so Vegas. that would be a good example of what I'm talking about. Yeah. A little bit off the beaten track as, yeah. as far as what you're used to. Yeah. And I was at the Panasonic booth. So Panasonic make the Techniques turntable, the Techniques line. Yeah. And, uh, so classic they, line. Classic line. It's yeah. like audiophile line. And they made the Techniques 1200, which is the iconic DJ turntable. Right. Like that is what made DJing what it is. Is that like the Fender you know stratocaster of, of turntables absolutely yeah. it is the one when so, you picture the turntable in your head without even trying you are looking at the 1200 and when you and when you uh decided to get into this business mm-hmm. when you were probably just a kid you thought i gotta get my hands on one of those things yeah i mean eventually like my dad actually had a techniques 1500 my oh, dad wow. my dad is a little bit of a, and he had a techniques tape deck he's a bit of an audiophile I, you know not too serious about it but he actually dj'd a bit too like he would play parties with 45s and stuff but right it was just for fun but because he was a music fan. Um, so he had a Technics 1500, which is not the, it's not the 1200. There's certain features of the 1200 that make it so solid, right. but it was a really good starting point for me. Um, once he let me use it and all that. And, and so they, uh, created that. And so they were asking you to be down in Las yeah. Vegas and, yeah. and so show actually, off their latest goods. So they stopped, they stopped making them in, I want to say like 2006 or okay. something like that, much to the chagrin of the whole DJ industry. Well, that also makes them cool too, because it becomes vintage gear. Yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And well, the, the, the thing about them is they are, to me, it might be the most efficient piece of electronics I've ever touched. Like, they just don't die. Right. They, you might have to replace the RCA cable, or you might have to replace uh, the tone arm or something, but these things are just workhorses. And it's kind of one of those things, like, how does a machine like that survive in this in this current, you know, product world of temporary and uh, planned obsolescence and so many people don't even bother with the classic vinyl turntable yeah but i I think that that's that is changing and Uh you hear lots of things about vinyl coming back and everything and i do think i I think it's it's around but even in the dj world yeah like in the early mid 2000s uh you had um people moving a bit more towards digital because hey oh we can have all the music in the world on this one hard drive or usb stick or whatever i remember the the actual hardware started to look quite different it was these smaller smaller smaller, right but i think that like now that we've had that stuff for like you know 10 years or whatever you're like kind of like hey i kind of like picking what i want to take to the gig and i kind of like only having a certain amount of records the only the ones i really care about and everything brian eno once said in a in a speech i saw him give and i've said this a few times but uh 
options are the enemy. <laughs> and uh, he really believed that about the digital, yeah. the, the new morning of digital that yeah. was arriving, you know, sure. 20, 25 years sure. ago. Sure. And I think we can all feel that way about some part of digital in some, some part of our life, whether it's hanging on to pictures or, or music or, you know, you've got hard drives here and there, you kind of know where things are, but yeah. you're like, it's a little overwhelming sometimes. Like, sure. yeah. So that being said, there are some amazing features of digital DJing that have totally changed the way I DJ and have allowed me to do incredible projects. You just put it into your toolbox. Right? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Well, there's certain stuff that like pitch lock and things like that, where I can now change the, the speed something's playing at, but preserve the pitch. Right. I can, that's unbelievable. I can transpose it as yeah. well, like with the click of a button. So that's allowed me to take it to musical levels that, that wasn't previously available. So you were in Vegas with their latest, the latest from Technics. Sure. Yeah. And, and so they, they brought one back. They okay. brought a Technics 1200 back. It's, so this it's, is new. Have they done something different to not, it? Or? Not too much. Right. I think they um, a couple small features and like cosmetic things. But really, it was a chance for me to go back and say, OK, it's here. So when my approach for the showcases, I was playing the three or four minute set every 30 minutes for four days got your workhorse (laughs) that's what i'm talking about it was just like it was like free practice for me i think yeah but it was fun i really wanted to use the new free not for them for me i guess (laughs) (laughs) find that very hard to believe yeah Yeah, it definitely wasn't free but uh let's just call it practice (laughs) sure uh and uh it was good practice yeah it was fun and it was i wanted to give the things a good shake you know they're back let me let me let me just get comfortable with them because with any kind of instrument or something you can look at it you can feel it you can play it a bit but it's really that long-term feel that makes it what it is and so i wanted to see you know if they upheld their legacy and i do believe they did so i'm excited to get a pair when they come out (laughs) the uh the first time i think i i really locked into who you were um, and this is, I mean, you've been around like a lot of us, you've been around for a while, but mm-hmm. sometimes it takes this, you know, touchstone for yep. people to kind of lock in. And, and I just remember seeing the let's dance David Bowie mm. YouTube video and going, Holy smokes. What do we have here? Uh, and I, I actually, we just walked down to your studio and saw your records and your tables yep. and everything, which was magic for me. But, uh, can you place was that a moment where things kind of took off in a certain way or was that yeah. just part of the tapestry yeah. How did that work? yeah i would say i mean that was when i think back of just certain days in uh i mean at least in the modern sort of like social media world that was that was like a special day where it just that that just disrupted my whole day in, in the best way possible i mean it's, it's got like hundreds of thousands of views at this point i think yeah well on facebook it got 12 million views 12 million yeah on on, on youtube it's it's significant it was facebook it was like right at a really good time for facebook videos yeah Zucker- good time for facebook zuckerberg isn't doing it all wrong yeah yeah, at least yeah, in your yeah, book. yeah. <laughs> he was cranking up the the, the heat <laughs> the video on the content yeah exactly well and think about how video content changed after, at that moment every, exactly every you know ceo worth their salt was talking about video yeah content, right? exactly so. and and so i've learned over the years uh that just as djing the video video content is one of the best ways uh, I, I even don't really like the word content but videos of nor do I, I yeah just having a conversation it, about that this morning yeah. yeah, but just video is just a great way of capturing what I do because it is visually stimulating as well as audio and the matching of the video and audio when people kind of are making that connection between what I'm doing with my hands and what's coming out of the speaker. I feel like that's 
you know, my best format. The thing about scratching um, is when we, when I first started scratching, a lot of the times there wasn't a video to match the audio. So you'd hear these sounds and you'd say, how do they come out like that? But uh-huh. now we have the ability to share videos of it. And I think it's always been a visually impressive thing, but to take us to when that video came out, uh-huh. um, I had been working late on a, a mixtape. Actually, I do like a year end mixtape called songs. We listen to a lot in whatever year it was yeah. 2013 yeah. 2012 and uh, i was working on i believe that would have been 16 or 15 i forget when when, when did boy pass 16 uh, it was january it was it was 16 i think january 16th yeah so i was working late on that like like oh man i gotta get this mixtape finished and um and like and i was working working on it's like three or four in the morning and at that time i you know i went i checked facebook and and i saw people started like sort of commemorating bowie like people said oh rest in peace david like the news broke in England in the morning. What, what a day. Right? Yeah. Was, yeah. I mean, you, I think almost any music fan can remember that. That's like a very, very huge milestone in because he's he just touched so many people just from an art standpoint yeah exactly not even music yeah yeah, i think people just really could see that he had changed culture he had pushed so many boundaries i I mean mean, everyone had and then musically too so yeah and everyone had a story about how their life was connected to bowie in one one way or another right whether it was music or labyrinth or whatever it was or even the final record was such a send-off yeah i mean and he his his music just crossed so many genres and styles and it was so late here and you know no one's up in north america for it and you're not talking to anybody that's kind of why i get my stuff done at that hour right right and these these messages started coming in, and I said, "Oh man!" Like I felt like saying something because, like, you know, everyone, you know, you want to say what this moment means to you. And and I think I don't know if I was tired or whatever. I was like, "Oh man, I don't really feel like I, like I, I probably typed two or three things and deleted them and just said, okay, I don't feel like doing this right now." And so I just felt like going to play with his records, like because I've been doing a routine with Let's Dance for. I don't know, since the early 2000s, I got yeah. two copies of the 12 inch and I've been messing with them forever. So I got them. I'm like, they're already marked up. They're ready to go. So I pulled them out and I was playing around with it and I was having fun with it. And I said, okay, well let me just like videotape this really quickly. Yeah. So I just set up a videotape, probably did three or four takes, got a good one. So, okay, cool. And then I, I, I put it in and said, Oh, this is cool. And I, I rendered it, blah, blah, blah. And then I posted it. So this is probably about five or five thirty six in the morning. Okay, let me post this before I go to bed. And then I went up and I brushed my teeth and then I came back down and I, I and I just clicked refresh and it was like in 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 ten minutes it had a hundred thousand views already and I was like, What is going on with this? That like, is unbelievable. And it was like that is social yeah, media dream yeah, comes, it was dreams crazy. come true. Yeah, it was crazy. Oh and, my and, gosh. and so I was like, Oh man, and it was like, All right, let me just hang around for another ten minutes and like click refresh and just see what happened. And it was it was kind of crazy. I didn't know what to do. I was just very excited that it was connecting with so many people and and it was like it was crazy to watch just the i got personal messages from people saying that was like that was what helped them get over the sadness of missing bowie or that was that brought them back to a certain time with that record or it was a it was a welcome change to some of the you know the sadness or whatever that that people were seeing and it ah, it just made me really happy that, that that it connected like that
two things I learned from that video rewatching it just recently was a uh, God bless Nile Rogers for just oh absolutely I mean, yeah what a, what a genius <laughs> yeah uh, absolute genius one and, of my favorites and then uh, who plays guitar by the way rhythm guitar on that track yeah uh, Stevie Ray Vaughan yeah, on the, on the uh, yeah and the solo, solo. Mm-hmm. and then now I produced it too he produced the record yeah of course yeah 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 right yeah, right yeah and uh, I'll also point out that I I took is am I using the terminology correct but the the little uh, uh, deal that goes between the two record players that's just a fader is crossfader crossfader yeah. right so i'm uh, just making sure i got my terminology right <laughs> you're you're being pretty liberal and i wouldn't say aggressive but you're using that to your full advantage yeah. there and i'm thinking do those things break pretty the, pretty regularly they are uh, pretty durable they now. are i mean okay. By the time the late 90s came around and the tech companies realized that DJs were working these things to the core, right. they started developing stronger, more solid faders. Titanium-based yeah. cross faders. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, that is the thing. That is your, You are working that thing. And uh, just for people that are out there listening, it's the fader that goes between the left and the right turntable, so mm-hmm. it moves horizontally and yeah, when and it's all on the way on one side you hear the right one and then when it's all the way on the other side you hear the left one and when you ha- what you kind of do is you have it pushed with your thumb against one side and you're kind of tapping it on with your fingers so that it kind of leaks in and bleeds in and that's the rhythm that you're doing so so for instance in the let's let's dance routine i i, I take the the those ah uh, the start the starting chant the, the beatles rip off yeah, yeah. exactly <laughs> <laughs> and just i, I go uh, <laughs> like you know you, you transform those things and then it makes its own little little rhythm with that it was a little piece of genius Thank now you. the next time that i i you know obviously have kept in touch with your music but the next time i saw you was with dj jazzy jeff at uh, kerner hall uh, yeah. which was a couple it was i guess it was 2017 it's yeah it was a year ago I, yeah, I, yeah. uh it was a year ago and shad and you had this sort of heavy rock act with you that night as well yeah um reverse reverse and yeah i mean they're kind of i don't know if i would classify them as heavy rock but they play pretty they play pretty heavy like the they drum, did that night anyway. yeah the yeah. drummer chino is a heavy drummer heavy okay. cat so it's a drummer chino the bassist damien the guitar player rob and uh they're just i'm just a fan of that band i saw them around town playing and and said we should collaborate because they do a lot of inspired covers and original material that are great yeah and then i said i could maybe add something to this mix and and uh yeah reverse so i assume you have some kind of relationship going with jazzy jeff over the years yeah me and jeff i first met jeff in halifax i opened for him wow back in the vinyl days um (laughs) and uh strictly vinyl days and i think that might have been like i want to say like oh three or oh four yeah and he came to the city and of course Jeff is the he's the DJ's DJ and I think that I don't think you'll meet a DJ on the planet that doesn't look up to that guy and I was very honored to have the opening slot for him and I had this opening slot with another DJ a local DJ in Halifax and we worked it together and he did this thing the other DJ did this thing to me and I don't think it was technically on purpose but he back when you brought records you could only bring certain ones and he started playing and he really took the crowd in one direction which is a bit more of sort of a commercial hip-hop R&B vibe Mm -hmm. and me opening for Jazzy Jeff, I kind of brought what I felt was like the truest hip hop, and and he had the crowd really going with this like commercial R and B, and I was like, oh man, I have nothing that that will if I start to play after this, it's gonna like yeah. people are gonna be like the bridge is gonna be weird. Yes, yeah. So I was actually pretty, you know, a peppy little redheaded twenty two year old or something. I was not. I was. I was. I was pretty. 
ticked off by this and right. anyway whatever i was like oh man this is my chance to open for jazz jeff and i'm gonna lose the crowd and blah blah blah, blah. and i told i said to him man i got nothing like this i was like just give me the last 10 minutes of the set and i'll be fine right and so he gave me the last 10 minutes of the set and i like planned out like the best little mega mix of the 10 minutes of madness that i could and and i did it and i remember like that like the response from the crowd was just explosive and then i actually i didn't get a chance to meet jeff that night but wow. like, i actually had two shows i i just remembered it was crazy and i went out in the crowd to enjoy jeff and i was like feeling great about everything if coming from feeling bad and then we played moncton yeah. the next night it was like a two-show tour yeah <laughs> and i went to soundcheck minimalist and, tour yeah yeah, yeah. exactly <laughs> And I went to soundcheck and I brought my, my Jazzy Jeff and Fresh Prince Rock the House album. And I was like, I got to get this signed by Jeff. And so I, I brought the record and he, he was he was soundtracking. I brought it over to him when he was done. And I said, hey, Jeff, great show last night. Uh, it's a real pleasure to meet you. Um, and I gave him the record and he took it and he signed and he gave it back to me. And it said, to my man, Scratch Bastard, keep rocking DJ Jazzy Jeff. And I never told him my name oh, wow. until I gave him the record. But then I got it back. I was like oh man he knows my name somebody he knows took notice yeah exactly yeah. and then that night we we connected like like he we played the show it was really fun and just over the years we played a bunch of shows after that and we always stayed in touch and then one day i like i gave him a mix cd at this halloween show we did three months later maybe he just randomly out of nowhere tweeted rolling to vegas bumping my man scratch bastard mix cd and look out I remember and i looked at my phone and i got that and i took i took a picture of it i was like oh my gosh like you, you give people cds for fun and you don't expect them to do that you so know true. and i hit him back said thank you he's like man i love this cd he's like we got to connect and we got to trade some music and blah, blah blah so we just kept going like that and it's now good, it's a good moment yeah it's a great moment yeah and now this thing that i do now is the red bull three style world dj championships right. i was just in taipei doing the ninth installment of those and jeff has actually been a part of that for nine years so every year and i've been a part of it every year so every year we kind of have that dj camp thing that we hang out and we just become he's one of my best friends now and yeah. and i can say that he's one of the nicest people in the world and super happy to have that. and he seems like a real guy who i mean just from what i saw of him i mean i grew up listening to his yeah. music yeah. obviously with some fresh friends and everything but yeah when i saw with you at Kerner Hall, it wasn't your classic turntable, mm. you know, uh, gymnastics routine. Yeah. It was a bit more laid back. His producer side. Yeah, it was more. producer side a little mm. more, but he just seems like he really cares about music and supporting yeah. young artists. And He's that's, that's super his deal. passionate about music. And yeah. so everyone that you saw on stage with him was people that he believes in, people that he wants to help shine the light on, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, including Glenn Lewis from Toronto, who, who actually lived in Philly during the Neo Soul movement. Big talent. Yeah, huge talent. Yeah. So I think Jeff supports who he believes in and uh, is, you know, is a loyal friend to to all who are friends of his and I'm very happy that I'm one of them. Explain what's happening here, because this is on your SoundCloud right now. Uh, it's a track that was re recently released, of course, probably elsewhere, too. But anyway, quote, Jay-Z-Lucifer, uh, bracket Yuki, 
times ticklish times scratch bastard remix. Yes. Uh, Unbracket. <laughs> yes. So that, that what is, am I looking at there? That is what we'd call a classic collab bootleg right. um, facilitated by the internet. Uh-huh. So Yuki is from Japan. Break it down for me. Sure, sure, sure. <laughs> Yuki's from Japan. Okay. Ticklish is from Germany. All right. And I'm from Canada. Uh-huh. So... Yuki, I is a is is a, he actually lives in New York now. I play a bunch of his records and his remixes, and and we become really good friends that way. Because he'll see sets of mine, and and I'll say he'll send me stuff and be like, I think this is up your alley. Uh-huh. Like perfect, I played in my sets, and then he's like, Oh, this is great. We should collaborate on something. So also this guy Ticklish, I play some of his stuff, right. and Yuki and Ticklish decide they now. If you have a musical idea, you can make it in Ableton Live or Logic, upload it, and pass it off to someone else. Hey, hey, check this out. What do you want to do on it? And then so I think the sequence was Yuki passed it off to Ticklish, and then Ticklish passed it back to Yuki, and then Yuki passed it to me to add some scratches to it, basically. And, and we'll start out by saying that it is it is Jay-Z. It's a Jay-Z track. Yeah, it's a, yeah, it's a bootleg. It, yeah. The acapella is partially Jay-Z. Yeah. There's also Max Romeo, right. uh, Chase the Devil sample in there. There's also a sample from Sister Nancy, Bam Bam. And there's another sample from the Showboys, uh, Drag Rap, which is kind of a New Orleans regional uh, hip-hop s- sample, basically. Uh, it yeah. looks like <laughs> musical algebra to me. You know, it's you know, an equation of yeah, some sort. I mean, I, I don't know. Like, if we were all in the same room, it probably would. the title would have probably came out the same way. But right. th- these are this is what 2018 looks like. It's just like collaborative creation. Jump all over the planet yeah and and that's just a little fun thing that we posted for djs mostly to play in their sets and it's it's totally we can't sell it or anything like that it's uh it's, it's i would call it illegal except it's just a cool creative thing that other djs can play and yeah. supporting do you, good do you music. Think musicians somebody even if i was huge i'd like to think that if i heard that and i saw these three incredible djs from around the planet having some fun with it collaborating on it Mm -hmm. how could you be mad yeah i know well it just have you run into that honestly uh no not at the creative it's just the sell it's the money part right (laughs) it's always the money money part bb king said get that money right You know, and it's sort of like, it's just, it's cut and paste culture. It's collage stuff. That's, that's what it is. And, and as a DJ, I've always, you always run into some problems with clearance and this sort of thing. You got to be a little careful uh, about what you want to sell in the music industry, but ultimately the creative aspect of it is this reinterpretation. It's for instance, the Bowie routine. Like, I don't know, I didn't get clearance from Bowie or anybody to do that, but it resonated with so many people and they got it. And you know, it's a homage. Um, Once you have that goodwill, it's pretty hard to argue with it. Yeah, exactly. But then, you know, last week I tried to post a a set of mine from Taiwan to the internet and everything was okay, except the one Prince song that I put in there. And they, they said it was on, they had, they had to cancel it. So I had to snip the Prince song out and put it back together. Isn't that something? uh, that, yeah. a, that is that's a powerful estate and it is yeah. and you can never be mad at prince <laughs> well no and he and he probably would have done that to you he staunchly had he been defends here. his his catalog yeah. and, and 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 that's fair to me but i know for a fact that prince has had djs on his performances and records and samples and everything like that so seems like bat dance was full of samples for I mean, sure he must not Absolutely. understand how that works but you said, yeah. <laughs> yeah i don't know it's, it, but but you know prince has had his his trials and tribulations with the music industry sure. and i think that you know he decided to set up a fortress around everything another massive loss 
Yeah, huge I mean, loss. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so let's go, let's go back a little bit. We mentioned Bedford, Nova Scotia. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're coming up, I guess, in what late '80s kind of thing. Yeah, I was born in '82, so I would I I, uh, I got into music obsessively through much music in the early 90s i would say it's good to hear i sometimes felt that my i'm a little older than you i think i'm 43 or 36 Mm -hmm. is that right so Mm -hmm. yeah so i mean i sometimes felt like that died with my little gen x group Mm. but but it seems to me a lot of people who got into the 90s mid 90s it was was still very much part of their very much we were i I always stand up for it because i think it was at that time, there were so many different genres of music on yeah. much music oh, yeah. that it really exposed you to a lot. Absolutely, hip hop to country to folk. You know, it was all to there. metal. Yeah, to metal. the wedge, whatever yeah. was on the wedge, Alt. alternative. Yeah. You know, yeah. I mean, like I was there for Nirvana and yeah. like watching it every day and seeing that whole thing unfold. Um, now I was sort of of age when that was happening. Right. Yeah, you were. I was like you know, in the clubs. Yeah, kind of 15, 16, 17. Yeah, there. you were younger. Yeah, like 10, 11, 12. But I was watching, you know, and my mom would be like, You can't watch this stuff or whatever. When she saw the heart shaped box video, she's like, I don't like this. When I talked to Tom Power, he seems to uh, the host of CBCQ. Yep. I mean, he, he talks another about. Another East Coaster. Yeah, another yeah. East Coaster. He talks about that too because he, he really, it would affected him. And it always shocks me because I think, Well, you were like nine. Yeah. You know? Yeah. But, but obviously it was. It was and out there, you just don't have a whole lot, man. Right. The, the, the much music was our portal into Toronto into the rest of the country into the rest of the world really you right. know we'd see Speaker's Corner like all I want to do is go down to Speaker's Corner and say something well I'm from Victoria so of okay, course it so was exact, the, yeah, the exactly. same idea for so, me yeah. I was like what is this place yeah. called Hamilton you yeah. know I hear about yeah. you know, Windsor and, <laughs> yeah but it was I mean much respect to much music because that was just a huge eye opener for me and I watched the countdown every week and I would watch I'd watch all the programs like we said the Wedge Power Hour right. Extend a Mix with Master T and then Rap City I've kept up with most of the DJs and I've worked with many of them mm-hmm. DJs I guess mm-hmm. I should say Erica M and I yeah. worked with Dan Gallagher uh-huh, and all these uh-huh, great people uh-huh. uh, but I, I never know what really happened to Master T yeah Master T I see him around people every tell now me and this. then yeah. yeah I'm not entirely sure what he's up to yeah. Uh, as a general thing but you know he's he was well revered in the in the community it for gave sure. you a well-rounded look at our music scene absolutely absolutely we I could think. use an injection in that right now I yeah think. sure oh, kids these days. <laughs> <laughs> master t was awesome man, yeah. for sure but yeah I, I used to i used to see stuff the countdown was where you'd watch like the the chart and then yeah. you'd see these songs from different genres breaking into that and then i started getting i got into hip-hop through that like i saw naughty by nature hip-hop array right. and i saw um Hey, yeah, ho, ho. they play. And I said, "This is a, this is great." Yeah, and then also I bought uh, Much Music Dance Mix '93. 94 and House of Pain was on there. I think my um, step my stepson has the, had those records yeah. too. Yeah. <laughs> so like very popular. Yeah. Oh yeah, they were big but they're good if you go yeah. back. There's some huge songs <laughs> some, on there. Some, some magic mixes. Yeah, there's some magic mixes for sure. <laughs> and uh th- I guess that was where I learned a lot and then I got a bit deeper with it and then I I do have to say my ne- the kind of the next step would have probably been college radio. Right. Because college that's something that kind it still exists but not in the capacity it, it existed back then because co- like outside of these TV and, 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 and whatever was on, on, on cable, yeah. the next thing was college radio. Well, it was just, it was a level deeper. I yes. Thought, and you, know? you didn't have anything else. Yeah. Right. This is before the internet. Right. So you imagine that. Imagine this guys. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and from there, uh, that's, that was how I connected or linked with pretty much my main 
first inspiration, which was Buck 65. Right. And he's from Nova Scotia as well. And so let, let me talk about that. Two quick things that you, you've reminded me of. One is that I do feel that that way of taking in music and experiencing music, what you're talking about, college radio yeah. and so on, it's starting to feel very distant. It is, it, yeah. It's feeling like the way that we learned it. Mm-hmm. I don't know if we should hang on to that feeling yeah, or, it's or, tough. Or, or champion it in any way, but, but the world has changed so much, you know. Is. And and I still enjoy college radio in the car. So some, do I. Sometimes tuning in online in the background or something yeah. like that. But we're just so bombarded with uh, multimedia now. And and I mean, back then you would we didn't have all these videos on our phone or screen. We didn't have computers. Right. You know, like so, you just so it's hard, to the harder PC, to cut just, through and yeah. And all the rest so like of I, when I think of college radio, I think of being in my bedroom doing my homework and listening to CKDU, positioning the radio in a certain position where it got the best signal. Yeah, and just doing my homework and We're hitting record on Tuesday night at nine. Yeah, of course. Maybe on the cassette still, deck. Yeah, or of course. I got tapes downstairs that we could go listen <laughs> still, to if you want. Still going. Yeah. So uh, so I'll, I'll I'll tell you my history with uh, Buck sixty five because okay. you mentioned him. Uh, I got a job in two thousand. 2010, they asked for a, a producer to come in and help out and bring in maybe a little private radio knowledge mm. to CBC mm. Radio mm-hmm. to drive mm-hmm. with Rich Turfry. Mm. And I said, I would like to do that job. And I, I used to listen to Jurgen Goth back in the old Radio Two days. Uh-huh. And I always thought, gosh, I would love to work on that show. Uh-huh. Now, obviously, it had changed quite dramatically mm-hmm. since Rich had taken over. But uh, so Rich and I were together for five years, mm. just the two of us in a studio wow. Okay. every day. Wow. Wow. <laughs> so I thought you might get a kick out Absolutely. of that. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Me and Turf Fry. For those who have, yeah, Rich is Buck 65. Rich is Buck 65. Um, That's and uh, yeah, Rich. That must have been a huge thing for you to see him kind of take off absolutely as, a, as an artist yeah no i mean i saw that happen in a lot of ways i kind of jumped on the the buck 65 uh bandwagon if you can call it that i don't know i wouldn't call it the bandwagon i just became a fan of his through his radio show which was him being a fan of hip-hop but then he would start to play a couple of his own tunes just kind of just like casually i think maybe just to get them out there not really pushing them too hard not forcing them on That's people very typical yeah but he seems, yeah, yeah he would just put them on and I'd be, at first i was like i don't really like this song I was like, this is pretty cool. And he had a character, and I bought the tapes. And, you know, I would go down to San stink, Is that the Stinkin' Rich Yeah, Stinkin' Rich okay. phase. Um, he put out a, I think my first one would be an album called Weirdo Magnet. <laughs> double cassette with scotch tape in the middle of two cassettes. And <laughs> photocopy, Han- Hannah Christensen photocopy of a uh, face on the cover, Weirdo Magnet. And it was just, I remember listening to it, and it's just like, what is this stuff? It's cool. The beats were interesting. He yeah. was saying cool stuff that I could kind of relate to, telling stories of East Coast growing up a little bit, but not like I'm from, just sort of like, it was cool. He seemed to be a guy, that, from what I could gather, that really was into... You know, he could name any beat, like you'd play him a bit of a drum machine, yeah. a bit of a yeah, beat he was from a hip-hop man. record, and yeah. he, he could cite obsessive. where ev- everything came yeah. from. Yeah, and that made me want to be obsessive, too, because he could do that. I'm like, okay, I, you want to, when you find something like that, it's like you want to stump them or something. So right. I was like, let me go dig through all my parents' records to see if I can find drums that buck doesn't know about it of course and i was so uh you know deer in the headlights on the subject that i would you know he'd be talking about these things and kind of look at me and i'd say well beats me i don't know i mean <laughs> but i was in, yeah. Yeah, very impressed with that yeah that, that deep no. knowledge and i guess would we say there was a beastie boys influence there or would that be unfair? i think i think so but yeah. i think like sometimes there's this 
thing about the Beastie Boys and their position in hip hop being sort of the white group in hip hop that when you're a white dude making hip hop music you don't like being compared to the Beastie Boys because people kind of paint like somehow so but definitely I mean for sure I I know that I I mean I know that Rich likes the Beastie Boys for sure sure. but it's just that once you get compared to them it's sort of like ah like it's like that's too easy of a comparison and maybe comparing for the wrong reasons to Strictly Color or something like that of course yeah how about you absolutely I've just been thinking about them lately because I just read the book I got the book off on my bedside table right now I mean I went great I blasted through it pretty quick and I I have to say I mean it just reignited that fire yeah I'm like I'm like 20 pages in okay and uh (laughs) well when you're going to bed at 5 30 a.m what are you gonna do (laughs) yeah but like I mean that like Buck's style was very like the Beastie Boys the break beats the drums the, the 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 his approach I mean the Beasties were inspired by New York hip hop, and so was Rich, and, yeah. and 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 then me too. I mean, I I the 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 Beastie Boys record that I remember came out when I was into hip hop was Ill Communication, right? And so Sure Shot and Root Down, and I mean, I love arguably the 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 towering. A champion of all their records maybe so certainly I mean, the highest selling boutique, i would yeah, think yeah yeah it was it was it was uh it was a great point for them maybe yeah. fight for your right had more sold more I, records yeah well the I mean, license to yeah. ill i think license to ill but then in a way they moved away from license to ill and i'm sure that gets that in that book they became something that they didn't expect to become and all of a sudden frat boys were like you gotta fight you know like yeah i, I tell people all the time it reminds me a lot of the the story of the beatles because right it, it really starts in this one place yeah, and it yeah. moves in, in a spiritual and creative and yeah. completely different direction yeah. and it's, yeah. it's an amazing tale and it's absolutely yeah yeah, yeah yeah buck i think is inspired by them but he there was this extra east coast touch and because i listened to the radio show and because i would go see him at his job at paper chase and buy cassettes straight from him at the magazine store and stuff like how was that amazing i would go like so when i was a kid i would take the bus in from bedford to halifax and i would just i would go to stand the record man i would go to hmv i would go to urban sound exchange which was the used store and i would stop into paper chase to see if rich was there and and wait to him and rich would be working behind the counter selling magazines and cigarettes and he'd sell tapes and 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 we'd just talk and stuff like you know i mean i'm very very thankful for being having rich as a as a uh, as a early influence in my life for sure yeah. he showed me that you could be yourself unique and from the east coast and do your thing and, and have impact all yeah. over and a huge model and you guys are different i mean what you guys do yeah. professionally is yeah, different for sure. but it's like you say it's a bit of a, a roadmap there yeah. to how this might go yeah and and i think like we, we we worked together on an album called situation that i produced in full and juno after, nominated juno if i remember nominated, correctly yeah pro, i was yeah producer of the year i, I got nominated that. i lost to joni mitchell <laughs> Um, it's a good record. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. A symphonic record, I yeah, think, maybe. Anyway. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and Rich and I, we, we kind of drifted apart a little bit after that record, but I think it was mostly just like different stuff we had going on in our lives. And, and I saw him recently at the Jazzy J exhibit where Jazzy J is from Def Jam. Right. Beastie Boys connection, I guess. Totally. He was he around for those in the books, early days. Yeah. yeah. So um, he actually had a little exhibit down on Dundas of, of like all this memorabilia, and Rich was there, and I could just seeing him there looking at the stuff i was like yeah i can see i can see that kind of classic rich like fandom hip-hop fandom so for me when i i went through a massive hip-hop stage in sort of the late 80s Mm -hmm. and that was 
you know, I'm thinking about Public Enemy, Fat Boys, Fat Boys, Public. Yeah. Fat Boys don't get the cred, eh? Oh man, they made some great records. They did. And Curtis Blow was producing those records. Fresh and, Prince, Jazzy Jeff, yep. Beasties, Public Enemy, Big Daddy Kane, Professor Griff, Third Base, yep. NWA, Digital Underground. Mm-hmm. I mean, these were all just rap tracks. Uh, yeah, yeah, just happening all the time. <laughs> then into De La Soul and mm-hmm. all that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. So that's in my mind. That's sort of this weird second, not weird, but it's a second wave of hip hop compared sure. to what we think about as the late 70s early 80s originals um so when does that music become important for you because i was Mm. sort of a weird perfect age you know 12 13 and it was really sinking in you you know you're really young at that point yeah for sure like i I, again like early 90s so i never bought a slightly different group of hip-hop artists yes the so I got into hip hop a little bit through videos and much music, but then I remember seeing uh, there was a big crossover tune by Method Man and Mary J. Blige called You're All I Need to Get By. So right. it's like reinterpreted the Marvin Gaye, Tammy Terrell classic. And I just loved the combination. Like, And the rap was great. The beat was great. And the singing was, it really hooked me. And then later on rap city i saw his his video for bring the pain where he's riding around on a bus with like de- like it just like the energy was so raw and i got and i go my friend had the cd and i'm like what's up let me hear that method man cd and it was one of the like just so dark and like dingy and like just kind of scary or like just it was just what is this music and i was just like instantly became hooked on this sound and he's like well he's from this group called the wu-tang clan and i was like oh cool the wu-tang clan cool so we like we liked method man and he that we saw that there was different features on that and then we found the wu-tang clan album and then that changed my life it really did yeah like this was this group of nine people that like all had there were songs had different combinations of people and the beats were all over the place and I mean, a I lot of different personalities. Yeah, but the, the but the the whole album had the, no two songs were the same, but everyone was exciting and 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 different, and the stories were great, and and, and I would just became obsessed with. And that, I like that, that they album. sort of had like a like a doctrine and like a iconography, and like oh, there, yeah. there was a whole you know well, system totally. that went and around. It. That appealed yeah. to my young mind because I was into like sports and I collected baseball cards sure. and things like that. So this whole idea of like kind of collecting the characters of the Wu-Tang Clan was a thing. I remember I used to write in my in my school school books like like I'd make lists and like I would t- talk about their features or their alias. They all had like four aliases and you had to listen close to figure out what they were and right. it was like it was exciting to be a fan of it at that point and you're waiting for the next record to come out what's it going to be like who's going to be on it who's going to be featured on it and it was like it was a great thing for me at that time to be upset like i I feel like juggalo culture kind of took that to the next level in a weird sort of way you know almost like wrestling in a way yeah 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 i I would hesitate for myself to connect those two just for my own pride. <laughs> yeah, right, that's fair. But at the same time, it, it's, it is sort of helpful. I mean, even Public Enemy, you could argue, yeah. created oh, characters for within sure. that group. With, that, yeah, that with had, Professor Griff, S1W's, Flavor Flavor, obviously. X, yeah. yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah. that was that was big for you. Did you, ha- did you happen to see them when... Um, 
they they came to town and everybody thought that most of them would be missing. No. Yeah, they came to town for like a weed gig. Yeah, for a it. weed gig. Yeah, That's yeah. right. And then they actually all showed up. Yeah, Did I didn't see that. I didn't see that show. I saw them in uh, Minneapolis earlier in the summer, the whole crew. Okay. It was great. And I've seen different combinations. I actually DJed for Raekwon and Ghostface at uh, Dundas Square. Holy smokes. For, um, I believe it was... Uh, God Bless the City yeah, Planning. North and, by Northeast. Right, okay. One it was a free festivals. show. Yeah that i got a call uh that day saying they need a dj <laughs> i was at the blue jays game what happens in your heart in that um, moment? you know what my first instinct was to say no of course i said no because there there's this thing that live performers rap rap people that aren't organized can do where they hire a dj that don't give and then they kind of shame him almost you know sure. they blame him like the sound man you know it's like the sound man it's like, I don't, he's like I don't well think if we it's did any different for when like we guys like you know wilson pickett or what have you mm-hmm. back in the day mm-hmm. you know it's like i'll show up with my guitar and the band better be good or, yeah. or else i'm gonna be yeah. giving them hell and it's yeah. like well wait a sec yeah yeah <laughs> exactly yeah. so i said no at first and then i hung up the phone and i was at the jays game with a couple of friends and i was like huh that was funny and they're like what and i was like i just got asked the dj for rick when it goes to so they're like oh my god and they looked at me and I paused and they were like, what did you say? And I was like, no. And they're like, are you crazy? And I was like, oh man. Like, and I had another gig that night and I was like, oh, okay. Like, okay. And then I called them back and said, okay, um, I think I can make this happen. You know, let's, let's, let's figure it out. And it ended up being uh, like, you leave the Jays game. No, I mean, it, it all worked out perfectly. Like I, okay. I got to watch the Jays game, relax, texted a few people, got some emails, got the, <laughs> got the, got the, it, the instrumentals to the show in my inbox. And get a little hype going too. Yeah, let a few yeah. people know. And sure. I was really excited to do it. When I, when I think back, I'm really happy that I took How it. How did they get, they treat you okay? <laughs> they treated me amazing. Actually, oh, wow. like I got there, um, the manager was like, "You got the instrumentals." I was like, "Yep." He's like, "All right, cool." He's like, "Go sit over there." Oh, and so man. I was backstage, and I sit down on the on the couch, and I'm sitting here. Then then like in walks Raekwon, and Raekwon sits on my left side, and then you know, and then in walks Ghostface, and Ghostface sits on my right side. I've got my laptop in front of me with like a zip of instrumentals, yeah. and and a tech like a text file with like a couple different sets and we open it up and we just we're talking about what how we're going to put the show together and uh, there was a moment there where i looked kind of looked to my left and my right and i was like holy smokes if that little kid from nova scotia could imagine that i'd be sitting in that position right then it's outrageous yeah and even just the in- inner dialogue between the two of them hearing them go back and forth was just it was just amazing for me as a fan to hear them talk about what they want to do and why they want to do it and there was certain songs that Ghostface wanted to do that Raekwon didn't and vice versa I had to hear them kind of like talk oh. about why they wanted to do it and I had a little bit of input too and wow. as a DJ for the show I would kind of push the show in a couple of directions you know I think some shows they're just sort of expected to turn around and say push play right. and I would sort of just like read the energy as a DJ and like sometimes put some songs on a little early or like or like create some some flow to the set that I felt would add to it as a fan and just like as knowing the songs and, and uh, I pushed them a little bit but I, it, I think it created really good results that's so, so great yeah that like, is so so great what a great story that is amazing um so wu-tang uh is is big and then uh what what is what's the moment where you're like oh you know what i'm gonna get some tables and i'm gonna lock myself in a room well, and, and figure this right out. well yeah. digging deeper again getting into wu-tang clan and hip-hop i you know this is stuff you could buy at sand the record man and and whatnot and 
then listening to Buck's show, I started to hear all these like these B sides and these remixes, and he had the instrumentals of songs. And mm. I was like, where is he getting these? Finding the stems, as he would say. Yeah, but I mean, back then it was on the twelve inches. Right. The singles. I mean, in Canada, we didn't really have much of a cassette or CD single like they did in the states. It's like he and he had the twelve the vinyl. So I was like, oh man, I gotta find the vinyl. This was like probably in ninety six, ninety seven. You'd see a couple like mail order things in Source magazine. Now but, you you had already had the baseball card thing going, so you knew a little bit about obsession. Yeah, of course, of so course. It yeah. was it was wasn't yeah. too far away. I'm like from yeah, you. I need these. I need these records. So like, like I was a comic book guy. Right, and stuff, right. So I know a little yeah. bit what you're talking about. Yeah, and, and when you're that age, it's it's really fun. Well, you don't have much else to do, and it's, right. it becomes the thing that you want to do and keeps you out of trouble and everything like that. Yeah. So my friend, who's the guy that gave me the Method Man CD, or we used to we used to hang out every weekend, and we would buy cassettes and CDs and make mixtapes, the best three, four songs from each of the albums that we bought that week or that month or whatever. And then we started saying, okay, we got to get this vinyl. So his dad used to take trips to Toronto, and as did mine. And they, we would, they would sometimes get CDs and cassettes that we couldn't get in nova scotia mm-hmm. you know they did certain ones didn't make it out there sure they would find these little these albums that were out there and then one trip he started bringing his dad started bringing back some vinyl from play do record and so he he brought back like 40s he's like I, I need this this and this if you can do it and he brought them back and we were like oh my god you know we had all these songs you couldn't get on cd or cassette and then we we're like oh, i became obsessed with it Around this time, the internet started popping off. <laughs> we, these, we found these online ordering things. We were like, okay, cool. We started making orders for vinyl. And we started amassing this collection. We went down to New York that summer. We bought some records at Fat Beats, came back. And we had like about a crate of records. And then we were like, okay, we start playing with the records. You know, you put them on the turntable and you're like, well, what, is it ha- what happens if I go, wicker, wicker? <laughs> you know, like, of course. And then it sounds awful at first. And then you're like, okay, well, I need to learn more about this. So from that mail order online, mail order site we saw these vhs tapes of djs in battles and um one called turntable mechanic workshop by the invisible scratch pickles which was the group that Mixmaster mike was in even though he wasn't in that video and it was like a dj teaching the vhs that must have been invaluable it was it was also um come to find out uh recorded in their garage while they were uh high on acid And it's just these guys doing. They should make an instructional <laughs> video. You know, these these guys doing scratches and showing you, and like, and I would watch it and like, how do they? Then he's talking like a cowboy and half. It's just, it's just, it's just super. It reminds me of like snowboard videos or or surf videos, exactly. Skate videos, exactly, exactly. But that was sort of the counterculture um, stuff. It was like, why, you know, why does this company want me to make a video? How to do this? It's like, if you know, you know. When like, let's just have fun with it. And uh, and I would watch it, and you know, but beyond the silliness and everything lied this raw skills so i'd watch it and be like oh man like look at that and i would go downstairs and try to do it you know and, and just by sort of like watching listening and and trial and error and then they just spawned from there when did you realize that you know there's always that moment of okay i'm gonna try something i mean i tried painting for example mm, mm-hmm. I, I, i'm no painter i tried uh, <laughs> piano i'm okay yeah. but there must have been that moment where you were feeling like okay i think this is actually starting to happen well so i was at this time i was spending a lot of time in the basement practicing and my mother um was like you know she's what was the situation mom and dad both around and yeah yeah siblings or yeah i have uh three younger siblings oh wow oldest of four me too there you go how about that 
kind of kind of I knew fight this it interview on, was meant to be you got to kind of fight it on your own eh? yeah and you got to break that ice you know i broke a lot of ice sure my mom is uh she's from trinidad she's a bit of a you know tough tough caribbean mom sure <laughs> she doesn't like cursing and Cur- that was a thing tough love Tougher sometimes but but, dynamic, but, sure. but like but great but she's also very supportive of what i did right. and she saw that I was down there practicing. And one day she saw a sign downtown that said there was a DJ competition. And she said, Paul, I saw a sign for a DJ competition. She said, you should go in it. And I think she had seen that we were watching these videotapes of these competitions and really like getting excited. And I was like, Oh mom, like, like, no, I'm not ready. She's like, what? She's like, she was like, of course you are. She wasn't like, you're good. She was just like, well, you're, you seem to be pretty serious about this. So like, why don't you, go into this competition and i was like oh man you know and at that point you know if your mother is calling you a wussy or something well and and that i know exactly what you're talking about because my mom uh right after i'd done some traveling suggested i go to this broadcasting school and Mm -hmm. and this multimedia course and it was very people everybody was trying to get into it Mm -hmm. it was a big thing out in victoria Mm -hmm. but you know her suggesting i'm I'm like oh i don't know yeah (laughs) mom i know right yeah (laughs) But it was like great. I mean, I was yeah. so glad I did it. I'm yeah. glad she pushed. I me. stepped back and then I did it. And yeah. I entered the competition and that I, I competed against Buck sixty five and a couple other locals. Buck won that battle. He did. Yeah, he's pretty fancy on the tables. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. People, they may don't totally know that about no. him. But yeah. I saw, saw him in Vancouver. The two of us flew out. Yeah. to record. Yeah. CBC he can scratch man. And I saw, watched him. Yeah, work. he did and, a good job. Yeah, great DJ. And mm. going in that. And being this new kid, that everyone's like, "Who is this kid?" I was, I think, I was sixteen at the time, and Fresh you know, faced. my mom took me in, and like, I remember my mom, like, you know, she's like, "I don't even like the building was like over capacity." And she's like, "I don't even want to go in there. You can go in there. I'll wait outside. Let me know when you're done." She must. I wish she was a little worried when she had <laughs> decided. Bit, okay, kind of, okay no, what have I sort of? What have know? I sent my son? To? Yeah, 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 exactly. But not. Yeah, kind of, sort of. But like, yeah, I came third place in that, and then from that, I got. That's a big support, right? absolutely you just sort of getting feel like, a, okay, i got a little actually, s- bronze uh, spray painted 45 right. metal on a ribbon sure the, the competition was called the dj olympics right. they had hip-hop section house section and drum and bass section three different competitions and yeah i came third in that and i and i just got a bunch of numbers like i got um buck's number i got this guy six two um who lives in toronto now uh gordsky and a few other people that i looked up to um locally and i and i just and i would hit them up and i'd say hey like what are you doing this weekend can i come can can we practice can we try and, and your dad was as you said earlier to a uh a music guy uh, yeah he was a music guy mm-hmm. so that was all kind of there yeah. was mom into music too yeah or? for sure yeah. mom mom always dancing to music i mean coming from the islands she had her island tunes and she would move to her well, that's interesting because I've noticed even I, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but it seems like even some of your more recent material, mm-hmm. you are working with a lot of reggae and I'm hearing yeah. old ska and yeah. old soul. And, yeah. I mean, we'll talk about classical in a minute, but yeah, yeah. It, it, you do feel like you're working a lot with that material. Yeah. yeah and part of that's moving to Toronto. Right. I moved to Toronto 10 years ago and um, there's not a lot of Caribbean people out in Nova Scotia. So right. my experience with caribbean culture was mostly in the house right and his relatives and so i'd know what i'd know what my mom played different mighty sparrow or like you know the dollar wine uh, the hot 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 like kind of classic stuff and steel pan stuff and right. but it was it was kind of just through her 
the collection and our family get together songs. And uh, she had she had cousins and people that were pretty serious about recording. Like they would record mini discs of of of, of, of live pan sessions in Trinidad, and they would play it for me. And that, I, I learned from that musical obsession, but also sort of like that was they brought that with them. And that's what reminded them of where they're from. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was kind of like it's limited a bit to just family. Whereas when I moved to Toronto, it's just Caribbean culture is everywhere around here, especially out at the clubs and parties. I'd start to, uh, I had these reggae songs and stuff that I liked. And when I played them, sometimes they're the biggest tune of the night. Right. And it was like, Oh wow, cool. This is, uh, this is really fun to have this around. And then of course, as a DJ, a record collector, I'm digging through collections here and there's so much Island music here. It's, it's crazy. I will say that since I got Sirius satellite radio, which I use sparingly, Mm -hmm. I I like to mix it up and Mm -hmm. listen to terrestrial and, my own stuff and podcasts and mm-hmm, everything so mm-hmm. i jump around but i will say that uh the the joint the reggae yeah channel, it's a great it, station it's got it's a, i can leave it there for like a week yeah which is nice <laughs> for sure you know? it's a great station yeah it's i really, love that music yeah it's a really deep music and i think like um from an outsider's perspective sometimes you think it all sounds the same or something but once you get into it yeah. Yeah, there's so much it's a wealth of music and 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 i've been i've, I've really in the last little bit gotten really into it You're listening to a remix edition of Art at the End of the World. My name is Mark Wigmore. My conversation with Paul Murphy, DJ Scratch Bastard, continues in a moment. You're listening to the Zoomer Podcast Network. Let's get back to Art at the End of the World. And uh, if you have followed Paul's career or if you know anything about a, a famous DJ in this world, they do a lot of traveling. And Paul's done a lot of traveling. He's seen the world He's on his way to uh, Russia later this year. He was just in Asia, Las Vegas, all over Canada, all over the States. So when it comes to the loose theme of this show, discussing artistry and reflecting on cultural change, I wanted to start with that idea of travel. You've worked with so many different types of music and you've traveled much of the world with your work. And when you think about that Halifax kid you know, just getting started. What's changed when it comes to understanding people and engaging with a crowd and having a a meaningful artistic moment Mm -hmm. with an audience? Mm -hmm. Because you have so much more perspective now just because of the experience you've had in in the world. You've seen a lot of the world. Absolutely. And before we get into it, that is the, the greatest thing that music brought me is just this perspective on the world. I still remember... The first time I left Nova Scotia, well, first time I went overseas was 2001, and I've been traveling all over since then, and it's totally changed my perspective on on people. You you bring up a really good question, and I think it's hitting all the right notes. I I'm endlessly inspired by things I see when I travel and what I can bring to people, and when I come back and what how I feel when I come back and see things that locally feel sometimes I feel distant from local stuff when I come back, you know, sure. sometimes I'm inspired by everywhere I go. I think always in, in, in a net net good way, but, um, sometimes you go somewhere and say, Oh, this is not the way we should do things. And sometimes you go somewhere and say, this is the way we should be doing things. Uh-huh. And, uh, when I was over in Thailand just now, I mean, that's big. It's that's like a world away. Yeah, you know? it is absolutely a world away. It's yeah. very far away Yeah, and you get there and there is lots of global influence, but when you're there and you're, you you meet people there and you talk to them about their lives and they're they're not as financially motivated. They're more motivated by 
doing good things. Of course, their finances play a part in it, but there's this element of doing the right things for the right reasons. And when, when things are so much cheaper, it's not this rush to get all the money because you don't need it all. Or, it's just, or it's just not there. Or it's just not there. Yeah. And some of these places you go and there people are eating in the alleys, like you, you go and you're, you're cheap, eating cheap, but they're eating for next to nothing. And, but right. that's what all they need kind of sort of, but then you said, then there's this kind of global influence on it. And then you're like, well, I mean, it's a heavy subject, really. It is a heavy subject. And you also, you come back here and I hear this all the time, you know, whether it be just walking in a grocery store that's super loaded yeah. <laughs> with food yeah. Yeah. or what have you, it can be sort of shocking to, to reassess what we, how yeah. we live here. Yeah. The and then the world. prices yeah. of it, how it got there, yeah. like, like the, our generation too, it's like, it's like food, like yeah. my generation, we are a few generations removed from the people that the people that grew all that grew, grew lots of their own food. We're the right. supermarket kids. Yeah. Like I didn't think twice about where those things came from Me neither. when I was born. Yeah. Like, and now, Oh, now you look at the sticker says product of Mexico. You don't think about how it got there. Right. Right. That's interesting that we're a product of that society. And, and and there's always advertising that's always trying not it doesn't tell you that that's where it's from and just like go eat this delicious thing put it in your mouth and enjoy it and uh, then yeah. buy it again you yeah. know like and then you don't think of the chain of effects that that has so many different places around the world another thing that just popped in my head is like traffic right you know we have <laughs> a super advanced highway road system here and everyone honking and road rage and this and stuff. And you're just like, and pe- people have this idea of this projected space. Like, so he cut me off. Right. But you weren't there. It wasn't your space. So someone else got in your projected space, the place you were going to. Yeah. You know what? They, in other countries, they don't have that. They, no. That space isn't there. I remember speaking to the fellow who runs the Toronto Tabla Ensemble, and he was telling me that he got a real kick out of that. Yeah. The, that exact idea. Because <laughs> in India, you would never, ever yeah. even consider that notion. Yeah. Yeah, and we just—they live. The driving's way crazier and way less honking, and, right. and 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 it's sort of like, it's almost like we have so few problems that we make the problems, right. you know. And uh, and so traveling via music has really helped me be more grateful for what I got, and and not to get so worked up about some of these small things. People perceive this cultural moment as a moment of crisis. I know sometimes I get caught up mm-hmm. in that. But when I talk to people who perform a lot and, and travel a lot mm-hmm. and have to be in that forum and that space, they often sort of see a more positive mm. version of, of people and culture yeah. because they are exposed to people's everyday realities yeah. in all sorts of different places. And different places that have gone through crazy stuff and, yeah. and different places that are going through different stuff. And mm-hmm. what we, the way we, it's a lot of our perception too. Cause like I go to places and it's funny, there'd be people that don't travel much and like, like people say things like, Oh, like be careful and stuff. You're like, like, no, I don't have, to, I don't have to be careful going here or yeah. something like I get it, but don't project your fears on me, uh-huh. you know, and just going to these places where people think it's, you know, dangerous or scary. And this is just kind of what's been pumped at them through media to keep them at home and keep them here spending money and just like a hamster in the wheel. You know, it's like people let this stuff get to them and these, uh, implant these own prejudices and these own walls, like these own boundaries in their head that they don't even realize, like they're cutting themselves off from a lot. And these kind of conveniences being these modern conveniences, not realizing how much conveniences can tie you down. And like, you don't really need that. 
stuff but you feel like you need these things and you're like like even food you know i've learned from traveling you try to eat what the locals eat and i I have a very open palate and i love it but a lot of people travel and they want to find mcdonald's or something like that they want yeah yeah you think that that this work and this travel and this life has mm. has changed your perspective? Absolutely, like yeah. In, in and it wasn't pretty like fundamental. In, way. It wasn't like I want to be a traveling DJ too. I didn't really think about seeing the world because I started when I was like traveling when I was like eighteen or nineteen, uh-huh. and I just hadn't fully processed that thought of traveling and seeing the world. Yeah. But then I started to, and then you you know the first time you land in England and they're like, oh, they're driving on this other side of the road, and then you go get the thing. And they, oh, the Skittles <laughs> it's a good starter point, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the skittles taste different over here yeah, right. you know different yeah. chocolate bars yeah, i used yeah. to love them. right i know but and those are just that's just the tip of the ice sure cream, is you know <laughs> that's that's more of the uh, 13 14 year old uh, excitement yeah, i remember I going to the states and yeah. seeing different types of chips and yeah. things and going yeah. wow this is great <laughs> yeah and again tip of the iceberg there's so much the, the more you do it the deeper you get and the more you see and take it and obviously the world is continuing to evolve and even I, and over those I, and i love i mean i think i could make connect the two dots here that with your experience that's you can hear it in your music too yeah no I mean, doubt you like, know you you really when you listen to your earlier stuff compared to now there's a there's a bigger world going for on. sure and yeah. you travel and you see you hear these sounds and it's funny and i bring back that thing about building those walls in your brain and the prejudices and stuff and sometimes you don't realize it but music can be appropriated or just thrown at you in this sort of thematic image that you're not really processing what's actually going on with the instruments being played it's like packaged to you in this image and style and like like latin music for instance it's like it's always like like the images of in movies are a lot of times tied to moments in a club with like women dancing or something or like or like a moment in a certain part of town but like you don't actually process what they're doing with the instruments sometimes and indian music similar stuff and i find sometimes that things have been so you don't realize how much you're judging things before you actually do like and sometimes i get it from people requesting stuff to me or like someone says this sounds pretty mexican i'm like what like what do you mean <laughs> like no yeah have you been to mexico have you been to spain like, have you been to colombia like, enjoy your life yeah, yeah. what's wrong with you <laughs> sure. it's funny that we yeah. but and we don't even know that we're doing it right yeah. when we so when i say we just culturally that people are doing that a lot of that is like breaking down my boundaries saying oh this is just really cool music you can like like a certain type of music without separating it from an image it's just music and and music is just a crazy never-ending conversation that's just flown all over the world so let me ask you about this So there it is, Scratch Bastard with the Afiar Quartet Spin Cycle. And there's a couple tracks in that world. So that goes to a little bit what you're talking yeah. about. There's you yeah. playing around with classical music. Yeah. Unbelievable. Thank you. When I heard that piece, I thought, what is he doing now? Yeah. Well, that was a great opportunity for me to step into that world. And the classical world can be a little heavy, heavy, heavily guarded in, in its direction. And maybe even sonically tricky to play with. It is yeah. for sure. Uh-huh. Yeah, so just some background in, into it. What what you're hearing is a project called Spin Cycle, and we called it Spin Cycle. Um, the 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 concept was brought to me by the leader of the Afiar Quartet, Adrian Fung, and he wanted to do like a remix project that 
was a bit more of a conversation rather than just sort of a lot of times with the remix the conversation ends at the remix sure like he would pass the stuff off to me to be remixed but what he wanted to do was start with the music hand it off to me to remix it and then bring it back so that we could both collaborate on like a third entity which would be like kind of like the remix of the remix and I really liked the idea. I thought yeah. that was a that was a cool way to do it. I didn't know how we were going to do it exactly, but I was, you know, sign me up. <laughs> yeah. Um, and they gave me their four pieces that were written by Canadian composers, and they said, "Okay, here they are." And I was like, "Okay, how are we going to do this?" And I was like, "Can I bring you guys into my studio?" I come from a sampling background. When I hear a cool part of a song that I, that catches my ear, yeah. I want to loop it up. I want to put hard drums over it. And I want to like bob ahead to it yeah. and that's it. But, but like with this project, I was like, okay, well that's not going to be enough because like this world isn't just going to get off on just a nice loop. I got to make songs. And so it was a, it was a challenge. I bet it was, but it was, I feel like I can hear your hard work. And yeah, okay. well, tracks. thank yeah. you. Yeah, I, yeah. I hope hard work. I hope hard work sounds good. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> it, 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 it it was an awesome experience. Yeah. It was it was challenging, very challenging. And there were times where like d- deadlines would come and go, and I'd be like, "Okay, I'm coming. I can almost do it." And I was like, "It's almost finished." It's like you know, those last few strokes are sometimes the hardest ones of the painting. Yeah. <laughs> um, but thrilled with how it came out so i brought them into the studio i said i want you guys to help me replay these parts uh i, I kind of separated some of them i was like okay i don't want the whole quartet to play these isolate these instruments and give them to me to use as my toolkit because like i said i need music i i can't just make i i i, I need pre-recorded stuff it so. speaks to an idea that i was thinking about earlier which is you know you're talking about getting them in there and having a bit of that live feel but also being a producer i mean you do have to wear a couple different hats a lot of the time yeah. like the way you are when if people look at your new video from taipei mm-hmm. that's a pretty heavy duty live experience uh. But if people hear what you produced with Rich or this or that sort of idea, that yeah. really is a different set of muscles. Yeah, for sure. And yeah. I, as a musical artist, and we talked about Bowie, if you look back on Bowie's discography, yeah, the one red line through everything is just David Bowie. Mm-hmm. Like, he's worked with so many different artists, producers, sounds, and he's just, it's kind of what speaks to him. And, and surely the, his world experiences have spoken to him, too. For me, my me, I'm always interested in finding new sounds and cool music, and interested in applying this art form to anything, like yeah. anything that I think is is valid, like right. anything that 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 sounds like a like a good place to apply it. Do you think that makes you more open than some DJs out there? Yeah, yeah, I think so. But yeah. I don't think I was always like that either. I right. think traveling has helped that. And I think you know growing up has helped that yeah. like i look you know i think we all look back at some things that we would used to say in our sure. teens or sure, 20s and say that was ah that was a little it's a freaking nightmare was, yeah yeah <laughs> that was a little tough that was yeah, yeah exactly yeah, yeah, yeah. and that speaking on that in this kind of new world we live in and everything i i feel a little a little bad for some of the some kids growing up today because yeah. because and and but you're not going to catch a break. You're not going to catch a break. And so what that pushes them to do is to not express themselves right. or to or to talk in less letters and words because they don't want to anything to be misinterpreted and stuff like that. And you know, I think we need to give the kids a break. <laughs> it's very thoughtful, very insightful, I think. <laughs> so since we're working our way through CBC former CBC hosts or current CBC <laughs> hosts, uh, let's talk about Shad for a moment because sure. uh, you've done some amazing work with him. 
I met Chad in London, Ontario, where he's from, um, at a show. I was DJing for a rapper named Josh Martinez, and this guy Shad was on the bill. And Josh said, "Hey, have you heard of this guy Shad?" I was like, "No, I haven't heard of him." He's like, "Yeah, he's great. Like, he raps, he plays a bit of the guitar, but not in a corny way, you know. Right. And he's just a really dope rapper." And I saw the show, and I was I was instantly impressed. I was like, "Wow, this guy's really good. He's um, really good. He's so identifiable. That's what I love about him. He's yeah. got such a great like. He has a voice, like an yeah. artistic voice." Yeah, for sure. And I, we connected there. It was a nice guy. We I don't even know if we traded numbers or anything like that, but like, just, okay, cool. Mental note, there's a guy in London that's really dope. A couple of years later, maybe even later that year, I saw this video he did called The Old Prince Still Lives at Home, which was a take on Fresh Prince, uh, like the Fresh Prince uh, <laughs> right, of Bel Air. Yeah, Bel Air. Right. Uh, of parents just don't understand the video and it was great and like oh man and like not only was it cool and, and like look cool looking and a cool reference the the actual rap was amazing like right. this guy's a very talented rapper uh-huh. great writer and, yeah and then so you know okay cool shad's doing cool things i forget if i reached out to him then but later maybe another fast forward another year or two and he put out this tune called yeah i get it and i just remember like watching this watching this video and be like okay this guy is really stepping into like another realm of like this guy's becoming one of the greats in my opinion like sure. i was just really connecting with what he was what he was saying how he was saying it and just like the energy that he had so chance meeting i think i reached out to him on email or i think it was a chance meeting actually out in vancouver when he was living out there i was like oh man we got to get together i really like your stuff can i play you some beats and played him some beats and i had a beat kicking around um that uh that he wanted to use and we did recorded a song called give you all i can and that year he won the juno he he beat drake or whatever and and he's like hey man he's like i i want to release this song now and i think it fits as a good celebratory song for winning the juno so i was like let it fly and he put it out and i was super happy with how it turned out and we made some more music worked on his next album flying colors together i produced five or six songs on there yeah yeah and we just you know we just kept working together after that did a little ep called the spring up and now we're just we just collaborate on stuff he's this again one of my one of my best friends and and just a great musical collaborator uh, an amazing person and i think like an underestimated under under i wouldn't call him undervalued because i think those that know know i, I don't think so either and i think even just this sort of two legs of his tour that he's doing right now i mean it, it feels really solid and yeah. it feels like as a guy who's just like entrenched yeah. in the culture yeah i think point. once you're a yeah. fan of shad you'll never never not be a fan of shad he's he's a hard hard guy to leave <laughs> and he was so great coming out at your gig at kerner um, yeah you guys just came out and really killed it yeah it so, so yeah that we performed limoncello which was a song that we made for fun one day yeah um and it turned out really good and funny we, how that works yeah eh? exactly <laughs> like we weren't even trying to make a song really kind of we're like let's go in the studio and see what happens and we made that song like two days that's just like send it we printed it we pressed a 45 um and then we performed as well styling um, which was off of Flying Colors featuring Socrates, which is a record I produced as well. Socrates, another classic Canadian yeah, voice. Yeah, Toronto, classic Toronto MC. Yeah. I should point out the uh, Scribble Jam because I, I think that, I assume that's an important point in your For career. sure. 15 years ago or so, it, was it the game changer Man, that I imagine I think it's, it was? I think it, you know what? I think it's like 17 or 18 okay. years ago. Crazy. Yeah. yeah so that's yeah. why I said oh, or so. Yeah. <laughs> that's That means two to three okay, extra okay, years. Okay, okay. Yeah. Um, 
that was at scribble jam which was in cincinnati which was a um, underground hip-hop festival for the midwest and i mean this is where guys like eminem went to to battle i was and about to say he's the w- first guy that pops into your brain yeah when you say midwest rap battles yeah. yeah it was a proving grounds for that stuff so i mean when you watch eight mile it's not far off from what the scene was wow. there i don't wow. know if it was directly influenced but that was definitely the type of culture so when you're walking into that at that moment you've been around the block at that mm-hmm. point but mm-hmm. still well i first heard about it from buck um, they had gone down and him and six, two as the Sebutones, they went down and performed there in 2000 and, and they came back and they said, Oh man, like this was the most amazing festival. It had, it had a MC battle, a DJ battle, a B-boy battle, a graffiti expo. It was like, let's so hip hop. And like the showcase, the artists playing and everything. They were like, it was the best week of my life or something like that. I was wow. like, I gotta go, you know, know, like, you know, and so I decided, okay, I'm going to go and pulled together with a couple of my friends, Josh Martinez, one of the guys I met chatted with. Um, and, and a couple, we were like, okay, we want to go. They were like, some of them were like, we're going to enter the MC battle. And I was like, I'm going to enter the DJ battle. So I brought like 10 records to enter the DJ battle. And I did. And I ended up doing pretty good and making it to the semifinal then in the semifinal, I faced this this guy that I'd heard of from Texas, and I was like, there's no way I'm going to get by this guy. But I had this uh, this routine with Buck65's records called uh, The Centaur, which I actually had used on him at a local battle before. Um, you and, used his own music against him? Yeah. Oh, yeah, my gosh. Yeah, yeah. Did he know you were going to do that? No. <laughs> but he, 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 he must have sort of appreciated well, he put out it. his record i think he probably saw me pulling it out and then like oh boy yeah and he's like this better be good and it was and yeah <laughs> I, I flipped it into the star wars the imperial death march and it worked really well and it worked good there and i thought because buck had a bit of a following down there maybe it would connect in cincinnati mm-hmm. and and it did and so i did this routine where i turned buck 65 the centaur into the imperial death march and it got captured on video and I actually didn't end up winning the whole battle. That was just the semifinal. And that was my, I was just like, I got to get this out there. Right. And I lost in the final, but that semifinal round, and this is kind of like, it was, it ended up getting on the internet, like the pre YouTube internet. We're talking like college humor and like E bombs world and like (laughs) websites where video was hosted before YouTube. Right. Um, hard to, hard to imagine a world like that, but that, but people started hitting me up saying, Hey, you're, I saw your video on college humor. Or I saw your video on this website. This, this, is this you? And I'm like, yeah, that, yeah, that's the star Wars. And it said, it would say, it just says star Wars DJ. That's all it would say. You know, it wouldn't even say <laughs> my DJ. Name take the fame where you can find yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and, 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 but, but again, like to, to, to bring it back to the Bowie video or something like that, like at first when that was around, I was like, yeah, of course my video is up there. I'm dope. Like, you know, yeah. like yeah. Well, they should have a video of me up there. They should have a video of me on it. I mean, I'm not, I, I'm making myself out to be more cocky than I was, but right. you know, I took it for granted a little bit, but then after a little while, I was like, wow, this is pretty amazing that this video has made, helped me make a name for myself all over the place. And so I started taking videos a little more seriously. I want to pick up on something you pointed out too, because you, you mentioned that it's a routine and that obviously a lot of practice goes into deciding how you're going to mix from record to record, you know, almost uh, uh, to the point of real precision decisions. I, I just saw that precision show. Precision decisions. I like yeah, it. I saw that show, uh, Free Solo, uh, mm. which you may have heard about. We got about the guy who climbs mountains without ropes. Yeah. It's, it's all the rage right now. It is an amazing film. But 
you know, much like your craft, you know, he practices it a, like a million times mm-hmm. before with ropes mm-hmm. before he ever gets, takes them off. Yeah, yeah. and takes them off mm-hmm. and makes that decision. He knows exactly, uh, inch by inch, exactly what he's going to have to do to yeah. make this happen. Yeah, and it feels like you're you're kind of living in that world a little bit too. That uh, as as you go between record to record and you you yeah, map out a routine. Yeah, I mean, yes, there's a bit of instinct too. Yeah, of course, there is, and yeah. I think that. I truthfully can't compare myself to that guy because I instantly got like chills thinking about climbing Mount Everest without ropes on. Right. Um, and I think I'm, I draw a little bit more from a, a just just a jazz, jazz improv and that kind of thing, hmm. and just this whole kind of thing about you'll always find a way. There's no bad notes. You'll right. always find a way out of it. Right. Um, of like course, but you have to be prepared. You do. There is a level of preparation with DJing because. I need music. I need to be, I need to have a loaded clip. I need to have stuff. Yeah. I can't just blow out of a mouthpiece and have something happen. I have to have the proper music or notes at my disposal. So it's so like learning a, the script of a play or a film. You, you memorize it, memorize it, memorize it. Then you kind of forget it. And yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And yeah, because they want to hear the natural line. That's right. They don't want to hear you read it. Yeah. And it's something like that for sure. And I think that I just got good at, I would say earlier in my career, I might've thought the way that we were, that you were describing it, like, okay, everything's gotta be on point. But what happens then is like once one little thing is, Goes off goes off the rails it will go off right without fail yeah you you can get you can get off your track but if if you kind of stay a little bit more ready and not rely too much on it being exactly like it's supposed to be i think you can make this own sort of like momentous magic like people there can get it and if something messes up people kind of can see that it messes up but the recovery can bring you even greater heights. Yeah. I feel like and all the more joy. Everyone loves a good recovery. I mean, even like a, a band like, I, and I probably reference them way too often, but a, even a band like the grateful dead is a good example. I mean, there's a band who uses improv as their, one of their main, main tools yeah. and they screw up all the time. Yeah, yeah, They're famous yeah. for this. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. For sure. But the way they get themselves out of it is yeah. not only enjoyable, but sometimes hilarious. And yeah, sometimes exactly. It can be all kinds of reasons. And then everyone that's present there yeah. says I was there when they did yeah. this. Yeah found their way out of this jam and that's what it comes down to it's like for me as a performing artist it's not so much about me it's just about us and the moment and us all being there energy exactly and i'm always reinterpreting stuff and remixing stuff and changing sounds and that that's that what i was talking about where it's like watching it happen is is part of the fun and making that connection and if it's too rigid or too planned out and i make it look too scripted it's i feel like it it takes away from that experience a bit what's your take on dead mouse well um i have a couple dead mouse songs in my computer yeah um just another canadian guy who's you know kind of taking on the world yeah to be honest like his music is not totally my t- cup of tea right. but i do respect it it's well, very well produced yeah and he's a very skilled producer but uh, stylistically it's not really the music that gets me going you don't want to have fast cars like him <laughs> <laughs> you know i've never been much of a car guy i gotta be honest i drive a volkswagen golf <laughs> like that, that pretty much says it all right all right uh, uh really really great to hang out yeah. with you today i learned a lot and you're an amazing performer. Oh uh, man, thank you. I mean, it's, I appreciate the good questions and and digging digging deeper. There's uh, there's a lot to it. <laughs>
There he goes, DJ Scratch Bastard. Great guy, uh, great conversation. Very, just a nice fella. Love talking to him. And Paul will be in Vancouver next week at the Red Bull Freestyle National Finals. And then he's headed to Russia in April for a big competition in Moscow. I think five nights there. And then, of all places, he'll be in Prince Edward County, Picton, Ontario, in May. Thank you once again to our sponsors today, Crow's Theatre. Great show on stage right now, Secret Life of a Mother, and Red Eye Media. If you are looking for representation as an artist or as an arts organization, Red Eye Media, a great place to go. Thanks to you as well. Thank you for checking out the show. Uh, You can always send me a note. You can find me on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. We're back on Monday here on Art at the End of the World with a very special episode, especially if you listen to the new Classical FM regularly. Actress voiceover artist, TV host, author, musician, and host of Nocturne on the new Classical FM, Marilyn Lightstone, will be my guest. We'll speak to you then, and for as long as we can. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.